So uh, most of the time when I come up, I share a little bit about uh, ministry with training pastors with Global Training Network. And, um, but today I'm here to share the Word of God with you, and it's my pleasure. So I guess that makes me, because I train in East Africa, I guess that makes me an international speaker, right? Having said that, let me share with you there. Someone wrote a book that had five chapters. Uh, the, first, the first chapter went like this. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost and helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find my way out. That's chapter one. Chapter two, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter three, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault, and I get out immediately. Chapter four, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Nice, right? Chapter five, I walk down another street. (laughs) During these days, uh, with all the distractions and the stress, it's easy to get caught up in ruts. Uh, it's, It's easy just to feel numb to it all. It's easy to lose our foundation. It's easy to lose our purpose. Um, We are told that that truth is relative. So we wrestle with things that once were basic but are now complicated somehow. Where's this all leading? Where's our world headed? Things in 2022 are so much different than they were two and a half years ago. Agreed? What was once unmentionable in our society has become unquestionable. There are many distractions. Speaking of a Christian university in the Pacific Northwest, senior lecturer of Regent University said this, when nearly three-quarters of a Christian school's faculty and a substantial number of its students support abandoning scriptural truth, the tragedy of moral compromise is self-apparent. This is the world that we live in today. And today's sidewalks have many holes. Where am I going? Our message will help us focus a little bit more on our new home and how to prepare for it. Why is laying up treasures, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 24, why is laying up treasures in heaven so important for us today? It's beneficial to decide sooner than later to store up our treasure in heaven. I mean, you know, you have probably come across certain times in your life when you asked yourself the question, is this journey we call the Christian life worth my time, worth my money, worth worth my effort and other resources. Many are very anxious today, even Christians. I hear this a lot. Christians seem to lack confidence and boldness while the pressures of the world are growing. People's hearts are failing. Those pressures are causing anxiety, which we'll look at a little bit more next week, but Jesus continues to link these topics of seeking the kingdom first with worry and anxiety all the time. He, he does it in Luke chapter 12. He does it in Philippians, just to mention a few places uh, in the New Testament. <clears throat> Lastly, one more reason 
why this is important is because of the one that's giving this instruction in Matthew chapter 6. You think about it. He is Jesus. He is the Son of God. He, he is God incarnate. He's the one that created the audience to whom he was speaking. That, that's a mind blower right there. <clears throat> he is the one who forgives sins. He is the one who controls our destinies and knows what is on the other side of this life. So but before we launch into Matthew 6, I just wanted to share in John chapter 13, and you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but in John chapter 13, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. See, Jesus knew where he came from. And he knew he was going back to God. He knew where he was going. And so he was free to serve. And I think that's, that's really a concept that we could develop that in and of itself. But he knew where he was going, and so he was free to serve. But we hear today more Christians are throwing in the towel <clears throat> than they are picking it up. Our world is unfriendly to our mission of building the kingdom of God. Jesus taught about yielding our lives with a focused attention on his kingdom. So let's read now Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24 together. <clears throat> Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light <clears throat> in you <clears throat> is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What I love about the word of God is that, and this makes me smile because I think about how the inspired word of God is just as applicable. The timeless principles are just as applicable to today as they were when they were first written. This applies as much to 21st century believers as it did to the first century, first century disciples. It's also worthy to note that this passage is, is sort of like tucked sort of like right in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. So it, it, it appears that Jesus is kind of working his way up to this section right here in Matthew chapter 6. We need to keep the main thing the main thing to avoid being anxious about our circumstances. Jesus has already spoken in the Sermon on the Mount about behaviors. He's spoken about laws. He's spoken about traditions. But now he's going to get even more focused on our hearts. He just addressed prayer and fasting, which were two of the best-known behaviors where people in Jesus' day tended to blow their trumpets. Legitimate spiritual disciplines can be used to prove a point of how spiritual some people want to present themselves. But in this passage, Jesus places the spotlight on heart issues. Our children, uh, and I have to be careful, 
because one of them is here today, a couple of our grandkids. But our, our, our children would, <clears throat> would test us every day. I'm sure you remember that. It would be a lot easier <clears throat> to focus on the rules of the house. As a matter of fact, Anna would probably remember this. We had a laminated uh, 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper that said 21 rules of this house. And we had it up on our refrigerator. And uh, so they really focused on our children's behaviors, not really their hearts. Fortunately, there are more pa- parenting instructions today that focus on the heart of the child as well as the heart of parenting. Rules without relationships leads to rebellion. And knowing what we know now, it's amazing how long, it's a mystery how long we had to knock our heads against the wall trying just to get our parents or try to get our children to, to obey us. By, by Well, because I said so. You know, Daddy, why? Because I said so. I could tell my kids to sit down and, and uh, on their chair during dinner and, and make sure that they finish their dinner. And they would always find a way to hide their food. We didn't even have a dog. The point is, is that they could fake obedience. We could make them sit, but I can imagine the little conversations going on in their head where they say, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. So Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter. The point of Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is that we are to act the way our heart, that we act the way our heart guides us to act. In verses 19 to 21, Jesus contrasts laying up treasures with, in heaven with laying up treasures on earth. And he says the conclusion of that section Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you want to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, we're just going to fast forward into the epistles a little bit. The epistles are cool because they explain and bring more clarity to the things that happen in the gospel. So in in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, Paul said this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So in Matthew 6, we see Christ's focus on the heart. We learn in Colossians that our life is hidden with the risen Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God. Not only that, but Paul says to the Colossian believers, they have already been raised with Christ and to keep setting their minds on things above where Christ is in heaven. Paul is saying that we have died with Christ and now we are raised with him and have already been given a new home. Since our identity is already in Christ, We now set our minds on things above. And it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? That since our identity is rooted in Christ and our life is hidden with him, that we live out what is already true about us. This is true. And we're living it out. We're learning how to live it out. So we adjust our lives consistent 
with who we are already in Christ. We're not trying to be something that we are not. But we renew our minds and focus on our eternal home rather than this temporary worldly system here on earth. The pressures and the anxious thoughts of this life come as a warning that our hearts and our minds are getting distracted with the holes in the sidewalks. Paul also described those who will inhabit the alternative to heaven. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. In a book called Heaven, Randy Alcorn writes, Because God is the source of all good, and hell is the absence of God, hell must also be the absence of all good. Likewise, community, fellowship, and friendship are good, rooted in the triune God himself. Earth is an in-between world touched by both heaven and hell. Earth leads directly into heaven or directly into hell, according affording a choice between the two. The best of life on earth is a glimpse of heaven. The worst of life is a glimpse of hell. For Christians, this present life is the closest they will come to hell. For unbelievers, it is the closest they will come to heaven. And I think there are times when God gives us a a glimpse of both. Like when we came back from uh, being away for a while, uh, we noticed that our our lawn was, well, it wasn't lawn, it was, it's just weeds <laughs> were all growing up. And uh, I had to get out there with the weed whacker. And somewhere along the line, I got into some poison oak or poison ivy. And the next couple weeks, probably the next three weeks, I, I was faced with this conundrum. Uh, should I, should I scratch? Because it was really, really itchy. But if I scratched on, it would become even more it would spread more. So the more I tried to find some kind of relief in the situation, the more it burned. And, and, I, and I thought, oh my, this, is, this might be a little bit of what it might be like in hell. The more I try to find relief, the more it burns. God has set eternity in our hearts. And he wants us to prepare for our new home. Now, Stacy and I have been married, Todd, 39 years. And um, by God's grace, uh, after we, we were married, we lived in an apartment for just four months. It was, it was kind of a short time before the Lord opened up a door for us to, to move into a home. And we were so excited to move into our first home. And like a lot of families today, we moved many times and we often struggled at first with the decision to move. But once we decided to take the plunge, our minds were set on the new home. We get caught up in the anticipation of moving to our new home. On the other side of the decision, we imagine what it's going to be like to live in this new community. We invest heavily in the new house with a down payment and strengthen our resolve to make a smooth transition. After all, this is a decision that involves the biggest investment that we're ever going to make in our lives. Unlike renting a place or camping in tents, when we live in a home, we tend to accumulate things. Is that, is that the case? We tend to, yeah, we, we, we tend to accumulate things. Yeah. 
And, and so in preparation for our move, Stacy and I would begin to sell things. We, we began to purge. Whatever we didn't sell, we usually gave away to friends or to the local goodwill. Some things have emotional value, but once we make the decision to move, we leave things behind and we don't look back. I rarely think about what it was like to live in places in the past, what, what it would be like to move back there. I've long forgotten the things that we gave away or sold for just a fraction of the, the cost that we paid for them. That's part of the difficult thing about purging, right? (laughs) Well, I hope you're relating. Yeah, I'm glad you're relating, Eugene. Some things we have taken cross-country only to wonder why we brought them along in the first place. Some of my books I took around all over the country, and really the only thing that I gained from all the effort was like a sore back. Here's the point. When we move to our heavenly home, we're not taking anything with us. And everything that we've carted around on earth will be long forgotten. When we arrive at our heavenly home, we won't look back because the joy of heaven will be unsurpassed from any memory that we have here on earth. Tears will be wiped away. We'll be, we're, we're blessed. Isn't it true? We're blessed when we even think about it, when we imagine. Like, I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes would see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. I can only imagine when that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun. I can only imagine when all I will do is forever, forever worship you. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. It brings glory to God when our minds are fixed on things above. And God loves it when we are unhindered and untethered to the things on earth. The second part of this passage is a set of statements in verses 22 and 23 of Matthew 6 where he relates to a healthy eye and a bad eye. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. And when, when I read this, I thought, he's not talking about 2020 vision. He's not talking about having an astigmatism. He's not talking about having cataracts. He's talking about what goes into the mind and the heart through the eye and how that impacts the inner life. He's taking a physical aspect of our body and linking it to the inner life of the spirit. In Jewish literature, the eye represents the gateway to the heart. Jesus' audience would have thought about the eye in terms of a lamp that reveals or shines a light on the quality of a person's heart. He's helping us to evaluate the health, the health of our inner life based on what we are taking in through our eyes and how that impacts our inner life, which eventually guides our decisions, which eventually then guides our destinies. Jesus challenged his disciples in Mark chapter 8, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? 
Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Jesus speaks to us today as he spoke to his disciples around the Sea of Galilee. And I ask the question, how can I have eyes, but I, but I don't see? How can I have ears, but I cannot hear? But then Jesus links the disciples' eyes to their hearts and to their faith. Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter. To invest our treasure in heaven, we must see with eyes of faith. Another wise instructor on this topic is the Apostle Paul. Who better to teach us about the eyes of our heart than the one who was struck down on the road to Damascus by the blinding light of the radiance of Jesus? You know the story. Saul was on a rampage. He was persecuting Christians, and Jesus appeared to him. He saw Jesus in the midst of this blinding light, and after this, and afterwards his name was changed to Paul. The Apostle Paul talked about the eyes of our heart and prayed about it for the Ephesians in chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. And if you want to put a little bookmark there, that would be great, because we're going to come back to it a little bit later. I have a prayer I want to conclude our time with today. But Paul is praying for the eyes of the hearts of the Ephesians. He's saying that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you would know the hope to which you have been called, that you would know the glorious riches of the inheritance, your inheritance in the saints, and that you would understand the surpassing power of God toward us. So Jesus and the Apostle Paul want our eyes to be opened so that we will store up treasures in heaven. But our heart must be engaged to act by faith in Jesus' command. The third thing that he does in this passage in verse 24 is he hits even closer to home. I thought that was enough, but now you're you're taking me even deeper. You're, You're even talking about my destiny. And Jesus says, it's not a matter of your outward behaviors. He's talking about who is our master. Jesus said it. Bob Dylan sang about it. And I believe it. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. It's, it's funny, you know, Bob Dylan was an icon in the rock industry, and some, somewhere along the line it was said that he had a conversion experience. And he wrote this, this album, uh, put out this album called Slow Train Coming, and this, this song was in it. Probably remember, maybe some of you. I'm not the only one. <laughs> Where our treasure is, our heart will be there also, as well. Whatever our eyes focus on, our heart will be there also. Whoso, whoever our master is, our heart will find its devotion to that master And we will walk either in light or in darkness. It was no surprise that the Pharisees had a different master than Jesus. As Jesus' crucifixion drew near, the Pharisees began confronting him more and more. In John 8, 12, uh, Jesus said, it says of Jesus, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I know where, let's just again, I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. And for believers, we know where we're going, right? So we can pick up the towel. Matthew 6, 19 to 24 is not just uh, 
a collection of unrelated sayings. There's a clear relationship between the way Jesus begins this section and the way he concludes it. He tells that where our treasure is, our heart will be there as well. Then Jesus tells us that we can only have one master. Jesus makes it clear. I'm so grateful that he does. He doesn't give me a whole lot of choices. He gives, me, he gives us two. I appreciate when Jesus makes it easy, because I think I'm a simple man too, John. I mean, we will, we will either go to heaven or we'll spend eternity apart from the presence of Christ. We will either be enslaved to money or we will serve God. I'm not sure where you are spiritually right at this moment, but sometimes I feel like I walk down the same sidewalk falling into the same holes. Ask my wife. Anyway, did I say that? Strike. Sometimes the only way that you and I will understand the timeless truths in these passages is to have eyes to see and to understand. What do your eyes tell you today? What is your heart's focus? Where's your treasure? Are you still heavily investing in a worldly system that is passing away? Is your focus on your earthly home or are you purging and preparing for your future home? You may ask, well, how do I know I need to purge? And I would just simply say, are you feeling anxious about this life? As you look around and you see all these blessings, do you feel anxious about it? That, that could be a yellow light or perhaps even a red light that, that we're focusing on other things than where we should. In studying Matthew 6, you may sense God wants you to make a slight adjustment. You can look around the room and say, well, at least I'm not like this guy over here, that gal over there. And Well, yeah, but I, but I concede I need to make a slight adjustment. Okay, I'll, I'll make a slight adjustment. Well, I have a friend of a friend who wrote a book called Heart Shift who met a, a genuine missile scientist and asked them, what are the tolerances you build into the trajectory when you blast off and head to the moon? For example, after you blast off, he asked, could you be just a little off, like, say, a couple of degrees off on your flight plan without it being such a huge problem? And the the missile scientist said, two degrees? Just be off two degrees? He went to his calculator and he put in the very approximate distance of 217,614 miles from the Earth to the moon depending on the time of year and the apogee of the moon's orbit around the Earth, of course. Be just two degrees off from when you blast off, and roughly taking into account the time and the distance traveled, you'll miss not only your point of orbital entry, but you'll miss the moon by a measly 11,121 miles. Add in enough time and distance and be just two degrees off and you'll miss your target by miles. Just be two degrees off from a right heart attitude. Add in enough time and distance, and your entire life can end up miles from God's heart. Some may recognize that they are in a hole today, for maybe for health reasons, for, for relationship or financial challenges, maybe ill-advised business transactions, or even perhaps even unforgiveness. Sometimes when we're in a hole, it's easier to get focused on the hole that we're in. And we forget that there's another sidewalk that Jesus offers us. 
you don't have to stay in the hole or continue in this path. Because Jesus walked this new path for us before we were even alive. And at the end of that, at the end of that path, he died for us. But wait, there's more than that. The, the resurrected Christ actually sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of us so that we would have the comfort and have the instruction and be able to know how to live this Christian life on that new sidewalk, on that new path. Jesus died for us on that path. Condoleezza Rice said, doesn't matter where you came from, it matters where you're going. So I'm inviting you to another sidewalk, to walk on another path, a path of an even greater investment into Jesus' kingdom. If you want to be sure where you're going for eternity, please talk with some people here after the service because heaven is a glorious place with streets of gold and maybe even sidewalks of gold, I don't know. The tree of life will be in the new heavens and the new earth. We will bask in the presence of our Lord and realize for our, that for the first time, maybe for the first moment of our lives and for the rest of eternity, that Jesus was telling us things for our ultimate fulfillment and for his glory. Getting onto the right sidewalk is the first step. After your course is set, the next steps may, may be a little easier. I think they'll be a lot less stressful, and certainly they'll be much more fulfilling. To decide to live for Christ and to serve him in his kingdom means making the best and biggest investment of our lives. There's nothing more important in life than this decision. We can together walk in the joy of investing together in our future home. For takeaway here, just a little bit, some of, some of us might be thinking that we're talking exclusively about money, laying up treasures in heaven. But how about just being a little bit bolder in verbally sharing the gospel? Because the window for that is closing, and we need to make every opportunity count. How about foster parenting? Some of you have done that. How about adoption? We can invest in the, the next life by doing something like that, taking in, caring for an elderly family member or serving a widow in the community, uh, at least being more intentional about giving to kingdom work, balanced with taking care of our own needs for daily living. So as we begin to finish up and wrap up our time together, thank you so much for your attention. Look with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Because I want, to, I want us to read through verses 15, beginning in verse 15. And then I want to pray um, for us three things that Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. So Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. As you're turning there, it's amazing what you hear when you wake up at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. Uh, that seems to be more of my routine. But I heard the, the train running down past Vandiver. At, you know, and I, I don't remember hearing that train much during the day because there's so much distraction. There's so many noises. But it's amazing what we can, what we can hear when, when we get quiet before the Lord. It's amazing what we can see when we focus on God and his word. So read along with me. Let's, let's pray together, too, as we close. For this reason, Paul says, beginning in verse 15, because I have heard 
of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And then let's bow, and this is what I want to pray for us all. Lord, I pray that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we may know what is the hope to which you have called us. What are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe? Father, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you, Lord, that you desire for, for us to be enlightened, to understand things, to hear things, to see things in your word that we may not, that we might be struggling with right now. And if there's someone here who just relates a lot to the whole idea of walking down the other sidewalk, I would just encourage you uh, to speak with one of us afterwards and share how you're feeling, share uh, that you believe um, that that Jesus has something different for you, that Jesus has uh, um, a sidewalk, a path to walk on that's not filled with holes, but it's filled with eternal life and that you could have eternal life today. Thank you, Lord, for for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.